Uh, Brother Drew, I have to say, Drew's still in here? Yes, there you are, I'm sorry. I tell you what, I, I feel like the kids got that, but I know the adults got it. Wow, when you focus on yourself, the light goes out. Take that, that's my message, I'm, I'm done. Um, I want to remind you also about the quarterly ministry meeting tonight. Cannot emphasize that enough for our members. Uh, hope that you will be here. Uh, remember that we will also pray for our church. If you've been a, uh, at First Baptist Church for a long time, you'll recall that we, uh, in the past, always closed our ministry meetings, our business meetings, and back in the day when we did them monthly. Uh, we always rallied up and prayed together. We're going to go back to that practice at the end of our quarterly ministry meetings as well. So be here tonight for that. I want to give you an idea of where I'm going, and, that'll, and then I'm going to reverse back to where we are today, what we're starting today. Uh, coming up this summer, so wow, way ahead. Yes, coming up this summer, we're going to be studying together the book of First Peter. Now, for several years in the summer, we have studied together uh, the hall of faith, the roll call of faith of Old Testament believers, learned greatly from them for the last decade every summer. Uh, this year, we're going to pause that to look at Peter and First Peter. Uh, and the reason for that is what I'm going to talk about in just a moment. Uh, First Peter, uh, in the letter of First Peter, the Apostle Peter was dealing with and helping Christians that were dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, living for Christ wherever they were, often under persecution, pain, and suffering. Uh, so that's a very appropriate study for all believers, I think, and I want us to look deeply into it as we are going to be looking in this year uh, more and more talking about living for Christ in an increasingly hostile culture. We looked at the book of Daniel last year and talked about that. Uh, and it's important to understand that the first believers were living in a hostile culture and that our culture is more and more turning antagonistic toward Christians and Christianity. Uh, we no longer live in a culture that's as sympathetic to Christianity as it once was, and more to the point, we are leaving, living in a culture that doesn't actually even understand Christianity. So that leads me to what we're going to start today. We're, we're going to have three parts today and the next couple of Sundays. We're going to talk about fortifying our faith. And the reason for that is twofold. First, uh, to celebrate the things that matter most so we understand our own faith, so we are more prepared to uh, knowing what we believe to stand firm in a culture that's growing more antagonistic toward Christianity. Uh, that's the, one of the main reasons for that. I want to give you an example of this and how our culture is, is uh, changing and how it has been changing for quite a while. As, as some of you know, I write a blog independent of the church website. I have a website and write a blog there, and I think maybe two, three of you actually read the thing. I appreciate that. But I do write a blog, and last, let's see, summer of 2021, I wrote a blog addressing contemporary Christian singer and icon Amy Grant and her position in the LGBTQ++ community. At that time, she'd been on a podcast, and she talked about how God loves all people, uh, and then she went on to say it doesn't matter what we do. And I addressed that in the blog. Now, if you've read what I write, you know that what I do is I, I'll give that cultural example, and then I just apply the Bible to it. Uh, well, fast forward to last month. You may have read in the news that Amy Grant hosted a lesbian wedding at her farm. 
Uh, and so she was in the news again, especially the Christian news with a lot of responses to that. And evidently, due to those responses, my blog circulated again uh, related to that. I got some interaction on the blog, and I want to read to you one of the responses, the comments that I, that I received uh, that, uh, uh, on my particular blog uh, about Amy Grant. And remember, I wrote this blog in 2021, so, and this, but this was just posted a couple of weeks ago. This is what the gentleman wrote. He said, you are absolutely foul. You sure did an extensive amount of self-pardoning gymnastics and, and in order to justify your own thickly sugar-coated, unadulterated hatred, ignorance, and bigotry. All your twisted excuses and holier-than-thou hypocrisy is the same old exhausted fascist stuff, no matter how pretty and condescending you try to disguise the toxic package. You are exactly the reason why there is so much widespread rejection and hostility against Christianity as a whole. I had no idea I had that much influence, but... Especially your authoritarian, dogmatic brand of it. The human species has had enough of your bullying. Amy Grant will continue to touch the hearts of people with the authentic values as taught by Jesus, but she's losing an uphill battle with the sabotage, and this is my, my, my favorite, but the sabotage of cutthroat goons like you. I've, I've been called a lot of things. Cutthroat goon is, is a new one. And your fellow comrades who rapidly contribute to the growing exodus of people disenchanted with your cult of hate. You contribute to the deterioration of Christianity more than any scapegoated peoples you choose to point fingers and throw rocks at. End quote. I have to hand it to him. He's a good writer. He's articulate. But did you notice he made no effort whatsoever to engage what I actually said? He never once said, I think you've misinterpreted this passage of Scripture. He never once said, here's a passage that, that I would offer that seems to contradict what you said. Instead, his approach was name-calling from behind the wall of social media. And that's what social media has given us. And that's the approach our culture takes. We live in a culture that has been privileged to have free speech. When our founders and framers gave us free, free speech... They assumed there would be a certain amount of decorum and decency in our culture. No more. No more. Now people can shout from behind the wall of social media and say things they would never say in person, let alone be given a platform to say in person. And this is an example of the kind of responses that are growing largely due to social media, antagonism toward Christianity that's being fostered and growing in our culture. They don't care what the Bible actually says. They don't care what I actually said. No effort whatsoever to engage me just to call names, and that's it. Have you experienced any of that? Maybe in the workplace, maybe on social media, maybe in your own families, because it's being more and more cultivated and fostered in our culture. We need to know how to respond to that. We need to know how to keep our calm and tell the truth, tell the truth in love, as the Apostle Paul would say. So the first reason that we're talking about fortifying our faith is so we become better at responding. In order to respond well, we need to know what we believe. We need to be strong in what we believe so that we can present what the Bible says in a loving and gracious fashion. The second reason we're talking about fortifying our faith, and this is the most heartbreaking of all, is that many, many Christians have no idea what they believe. We, we truly don't know what we believe. 
Uh, in past messages, especially last, last summer, I, I shared some surveys and studies related to how Christians respond and whether or not they, they actually know. And there's a difference, by the way, between knowing what we believe and what the Bible actually says and thinking we know what we believe and thinking we know what the Bible says. Most Christians fall into that camp. But when we don't know, that doesn't mean there's a gap or a vacuum. It means we fill that gap with things the Bible doesn't teach. Uh, I shared some of those surveys last year. Here's one that's I wanted to mention, 2018, Summit Ministries and Barna Research Center conducted a study among thousands of practicing Christians in America. Uh, and their, their objective was to find out how much other worldviews influenced those who said they had a Christian worldview, including New Age spirituality, secularism, postmodernism, Marxism, socialism. These are all worldviews incompatible with Christian worldview and biblical worldview. So they were curious, how much has that influenced your faith? Listen to this. Of the Christians they surveyed, 61% agreed that ideas rooted in New Age spirituality were compatible with Christianity. 54% resonated with postmodernist views. The fundamental postmodern view is that the truth is in me. I decide what's true. So 54% of the Christian surveyed said, I decide what's true. 36% uh, accepted ideas associated with Marxism. 29% heavily believed ideas that are based on secularism, the idea there is no God. So we have kind of a problem, especially if we're going to be living in a culture where our faith, our beliefs, our awareness of what we believe is going to be challenged more and more. So this Sunday and the next couple of Sundays, we're going to fortify our faith, and we're going to do that in this particular series by focusing on three of the fundamentals of our faith, three basics of the faith of every Christian, no matter your walk in life, your lifestyle, uh, your job, where you live. These are fundamentals the Bible teaches are true for and apply to all Christians at all times in every context, in every situation. We want to fortify our faith by celebrating these basic truths of what it means to be a Christian. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to start with Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you've been a Christian a long time, maybe you've studied the Bible, you'll recognize that embedded in Ephesians chapter 2 is one of the best known statements of salvation. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, so that no one can boast. But we're going to start earlier than that because that verse comes in a lengthy conversation and explanation the Apostle Paul has with the believers, the Greek believers in Ephesus, believers who were saved in Christ out of a very pagan environment, an environment very hostile to Christianity. And we're going to start at the beginning of chapter 2. And the Apostle Paul is, now remember, he is writing to Christians. He is writing to Christians about faith, the faith that they have, the salvation that they have in Christ. To bolster and celebrate that salvation is to fortify your faith in Christ. And before Paul talks about the practice of faith later in Ephesians, he's going to start right here. We need to understand the, the depth of our salvation, the strength of our salvation, if we're going to serve Christ faithfully in a hostile and antagonistic world especially. 
So that's where Paul starts. Talking to Christians, talking to you and me. If you're a believer in Christ in this room, at home, he's talking to you. If you're in this room or at home, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and you know it, then he is helping you understand what salvation is and what it's about. And at the end of it, I would have to ask, what are you waiting for? What are you wait- if you truly understand what God's done for you, what are you waiting for? But believer in Christ, he's talking to us. Celebrating our salvation is fortifying our faith. That's the starting point, grasping what God has done for us. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. This is what the Bible says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Okay, now we're going to move down to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You're saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift. It's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. Paul was specifically writing to those believers who might think they still have a part in their works. I'm a good person. And, I, and God likes my good works, and that's why I'm a Christian. Now, 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 he takes for granted they're Christians. And sometimes Christians are still left with this misunderstanding, this idea that God has accepted you because of your good works, and that's why verses 8 and 9 come in. No, 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 no. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. We go back to verse 4. Look at that for just a second. You were dead in your trespasses and sins living a life of disobedience apart from God, like everybody else in the world prior to coming to Christ, that's how you lived. That's how you lived. Then verse 4, but God, ah, two best words in the whole Bible. But God, in the Greek language, words that are emphasized, underscored, underlined, put in bold, are put at the front of the sentence, if you have a way to do it. Highlight those two words right now, because you'd be doing exactly what the the Apostle Paul was doing and what the Ephesian Christians were doing. They were underscoring those two words, shouting out, but God, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God showed up. But God did for us what we could not do. But God had mercy on us. But God. Changes everything, doesn't it? But God. Two words we need to be reminded of over and over. When we wander away from serving Him, when we get slack in our Christianity, when we fall into sin or disobedience, remember those two words. But God changes everything. But God. And if you're in a place right now, you say you're a Christian or even know you've been saved, but you're not living for Christ, yield to Him because God changes everything. God changes everything. Paul says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That describes the world, doesn't it? It describes the world around us. It describes you and I before we came to Christ. It's a universal truth that apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. 
It's the reason for the chaos we see in the world around us. It's the reason for war and poverty and pain. Because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. But God changes everything. And when you came to faith in Christ, God changed you. So this morning, we want to pause and celebrate our salvation. Fortify our faith right alongside the Apostle Paul as we celebrate our salvation. How do we do that? Well, first of all, let's celebrate God's mercy. Celebrate God's mercy. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul says. But God, and this is our descriptor of, of this God right now, but God, who is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy, an important phrase. A term translated rich, you ready for this? A term translated rich means rich. That's what it means. It's the same word in the ancient world used to talk about wealthy people, affluent people. But notice what Paul was saying. God is not wealthy in stuff. God is rich in mercy. Lavish in mercy. Compassion and grace. And what mercy is this? The term translated mercy is a courtroom. It's a legal term. It's the difference between the judge imposing punishment and giving out a pardon. So the same judge that could punish decides to pardon to show mercy, to show compassion. God is rich, generous, lavish in pardoning us who were dead in our trespasses and sins. So Paul says God took action. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves in preparation for us coming to faith in Christ. So then Paul lays out God's plan. Now, we know, now remember, it's important to remember, we talk about a plan of salvation directed for, toward those who have never trusted Christ. It's very important that plan of salvation means that you confess that you're a sinner, you believe Christ died on the cross for you, you repent of your sin, and turn to Christ and Christ alone to save you. Trusting Him, He will. But here the Apostle Paul says, there's a four-part plan God put in place for the moment you trust Christ and the moment that you trust Christ, repent of your sin, confess your sins, give your life to Christ, this four-part plan is enacted immediately. And this is the salvation that we celebrate. So we celebrate God's mercy. Let's pause and celebrate God's plan. Let's celebrate God's plan. Before we go through these four parts, I want you to notice something else. In each part, the verb is passive. This is something God did, not you. It's something God did for us. He prepared this for you before you came to faith in Christ. In anticipation of you coming to faith in Christ, this is what God did to you and for you. And you'll notice something else. The second thing you'll notice is it hinges on faith in Christ and Christ alone. The Bible knows nothing of the idea of this notion that, that every religion is leading the same way, or that no matter what religion you're in, you're, you're going to go to heaven. Uh, the Bible knows nothing of that. Especially the Apostle Paul, he is pointed and specific. These things are true in Christ and in Christ alone. They are true for the person who trusts Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. Everyone else, even if they're religious, 
even if they're good, are what? Dead in their trespasses and sins. Wandering this world in disobedience to their God. Just like you were before you trusted Christ. But when you trusted Christ, God activated this plan for you, for your salvation. Let's go back to it for just a moment. We celebrate God's plan. First of all, God made you alive with Christ. Verse 5, he made us alive with Christ, with him. Though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and then Paul shouts out, you were saved by grace! Exclamation point. You were saved by grace. He's just blown away by this. Uh, That when we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, God put this plan in place. And when you trusted Christ, the first thing he did, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He made you alive. And he made you alive with Christ. That's an important phrase. We're going to see it throughout this passage. Because what it means is, it's because of Christ that you were made alive. Spiritually speaking, you were dead. Spiritually speaking, you were apart from God. Spiritually speaking, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So spiritually speaking, you were made alive in Christ. Uh, The phrase means that it looks at Christ's resurrection life. It's talking about Christ's resurrection life. And the phrase is a cause-effect phrase. And what it means is because of his resurrection life, The effect of that was you have new life. You have eternal life in Christ because of his resurrection life. The moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, and Paul says you you confess that he is risen from the grave. This is why his resurrection is so important. Because his resurrection life in a new body raises you from the grave spiritually. A cause-effect. So you were made alive in Christ. Simultaneously, number two, you were raised up with him. That is, with Christ. You were raised up with him. The term, the the phrase raised up with him actually translates one word in the Greek language that gives us our English word uh, to sink something together. I use Dropbox. Any of you guys use Dropbox, Google Drive, Pocket, those, those iCloud, those cloud storage. We, we call them the cloud. It's really just somebody else's computer. But the cloud storage, and I use Dropbox. I love Dropbox. This this greatest thing since sliced bread when I discovered Dropbox. Because I work from different computers, different places on different occasions, most notably here at the church office and in my office at home. And the cool thing is I can save my sermons in in Dropbox here and the next morning access the same sermon at home. I just go to Dropbox and and there it is. Pictures, videos, documents of all kinds, you name it. Save it on Google Drive, save it in, 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 in Dropbox, iCloud, and it shows up in another location. Isn't that great? Same document, different location. Why? Because it's synced. In the cloud. Right? And syncing that for you. Any changes I made this morning before I came in, that's already been synced in the cloud. So when I pull it up at home, there it is. 
The phrase translated, raised us up in Christ, means we are synced with Christ in his resurrection. Your resurrection life is one with his resurrection life. Pause and let that, digest that for just a minute. You are made alive through his resurrection. Then your resurrection is synced with his resurrection life. Your eternal life, your alive spiritually is now synced with his life spiritually as well. So there, there, there's no going back from that. God's not going to change that. Uh, you're, you're right now in a different location, but your life is the same. Your spiritual life, your eternal life in Christ is synced with his resurrection life right where he is, and right now you have it as well. Now, to fortify this a little bit more, then Paul says, God seated you in Christ. God seated you in Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavens in Christ. One more thing God did. Now, you're still walking this earth, but this is what God's doing for you in glory. Okay, you're synced with him. You're made alive right now through the resurrection power of Christ. You're synced with his resurrection life in Christ. Then Paul uses a very literal term. He says, you are seated with him and in him in the heavenlies. We'll get it this way. It's the best way I know how to describe it. When you came to faith in Christ, you trusted Christ as your Savior. He gave you his resurrection life. He synced that with him in the heavenlies. Here's what he did. He pulled up a chair. He set it down. And he said, that's Bob. Bob might be walking on earth right now. Bob might be preaching to First Baptist Church right now. Bob might have several decades to go, God willing, to serve him on planet earth. But as far as God's concerned, Bob is seated in the heavenlies. Bob is already resurrected in Christ. Bob is already saved, seated right there. That's Bob's chair. Don't sit it. Don't anybody else sit there. Isn't that extraordinary? So many Christians think being saved is just coming down the aisle, trusting Christ, and joining a church. No, no, no. Being saved is God doing a work you could not do on your own. Giving you life that now actually somehow in the mystery of God's power not only resides in you here, but resides with him in glory. As far as he's concerned, as far as he's concerned, you're walking this earth, but you're already home. Why does he do all that? Why does God make sure it's his work and not our hard efforts? Well, obviously, we wouldn't be saved by our hard efforts. But here's the fourth part to celebrate in your salvation. God secured you in Christ. God secured you in Christ. Verse 7, so that, all of that, Paul says, was to say this, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. That is, no person can boast, because one day, someday, God is going to boast about your salvation in Christ. You are absolutely, if you're saved in Christ, you're absolutely secure in Christ. God holds you in the heavenlies. God's connected you and synced you with the resurrection power of God in Jesus Christ. So you might walk this earth, but God holds you securely in glory. And the reason for that is 
One day, someday, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and he's going to point at every saved person and say, See, they are saved in Christ. I'm glad for that, aren't you? It's not about you. If salvation was left up to me, I'd mess it up. Aren't you glad that he did this for you? Aren't you glad that the plan is, is established by God himself so that when you trust Christ as your Savior, you know that you will be saved? This is the reason we get that famous verse, that famous statement in verse 8, for you are saved by grace through faith. It's a shout out from the Apostle Paul. He is saying, stop even thinking you did this yourself. You are saved by grace through faith. And that's not from you. That's a gift of God. And it's all because of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for us. I hope from this point forward, believer in Christ, baptism will take on fresh meaning for you. Going down in that water, symbolizing dead in your trespasses and sins, rising up out of that water, a symbol that you are seated in the heavenlies in Jesus Christ, synced with his salvation for all eternity, to serve him here. The first step to fortify your faith is to understand the gravity of your sin and the mercy of God in Christ and what he's done for you. It's no small thing when we say, we serve Christ now on planet Earth until we go home to be with him because we realize the life we have, we have because of Christ. And the life we live, we live because of our faith in Christ. When uh, 2023 started, Elon Musk was entered into the Guinness Book of World Records. Did you know that? And not for something we would want to be entered into for. He was entered into the book of, uh, Guinness Book of World Records this month, January 2023, as the person who had lost the most net worth in human history. His net worth has been on the slide for about two and a half years. And bless his heart, he has lost 57% of his net worth. Yeah. He's down from $320 billion to only 180 billion dollars so we're going to take up an offering no. <laughs> value in this world comes and goes and when you try to tie yourself to this world you're just frustrated it may look good on paper but you're still dead in your trespasses and sins two best words ever but God. God intervened. He who is rich in mercy overwhelmingly lavishes that mercy and grace on those who come to Christ. Trust Christ in Christ alone as your Savior. Believers in Christ, I hope this helped you fortify your faith by celebrating your salvation. I hope it gave you a fresh vision of what God has done for you and ignited in you a new passion to serve him 
in the time you have here. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I hope you see why now it's so important. This is your time. This is the decision. This is the question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I'm going to pray for all of us. Believers first, that we would fortify our faith by celebrating our salvation. Even when we live here, leave here, remember what God's done for you. And if you're in this room or at home and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'm going to pray a simple prayer with you to help you do just that. We baptized some this morning. We baptized others in the past that have prayed this prayer with me. And that day, that way, trusting Christ, they were saved and enjoy now their salvation in Christ. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, sitting in this room and at home, believers in Christ, God, and maybe we struggle with, are there other ways to be saved? What's all the religion about? But now we know, Father, we're reminded, we're refreshed in this great truth, your plan of mercy to save us in Christ and in Christ alone. God, I pray that today in the next two weeks you would fortify our faith. And Father, today we celebrate with the Apostle Paul our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. And that's not of ourselves. We'd mess it up. But it's your gift, God, and we praise you. And thank you for that. For every believer in here, Father, I pray a new passion and a new desire to serve you will be ignited in our lives, by God, by this reminder of our salvation and what it means. And God, we praise you and thank you that we were once, though we were once, dead in our trespasses, disobedient in this world. God, you saved us when we called on the name of Christ. And I pray, Father, that that would be refreshed in us who know that we've trusted Christ. But Father, if there's one in this room or at home, that's never trusted Christ, never called out in faith in the name of Christ, confessed our sins to him, and turned to Christ and Christ alone to save us. We would do that today. I pray this simple prayer, God, and pray for those in-house or at home that would pray in faith to trust Christ today, that they would pray this in their hearts as well. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am. I might be a churchgoer. I've tried to be good, but God, I know that I'm a sinner, dead in my trespasses and sins, and I can't save myself. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and you're alive today. And by your resurrection and by the, your shed blood, I have hope of forgiveness and eternal life. So Jesus, I put all my faith and trust in you today. I ask in faith you would come into my heart, into my life, forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven. Heavenly Father, for all of us, I pray, we would faithfully serve Christ from this day forward in celebration of our salvation. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.